Well, thank you, and thank you, Sam. It's good to be with you again. And indeed, it's just wonderful, isn't it, that we can, even though we're remote, um, that we can be together um, in this way. And I was just encouraged, thinking through this week, that as we think about the spiritual gifts, the gifts aren't just exercised on Sunday, are they? The gifts of the Holy Spirit are operating through the body 24-7. And it was encouraging to hear Sam say that people have been in contact with each other. People have been encouraging each other in these very difficult times of lockdown. Some, no doubt, are feeling really isolated. Others are feeling very lonely and just wondering, as Sam was saying, where's this all going to end? And I was uh, just remembering as Sam read those verses from John about the Holy Spirit being the helper. And then he talked about contacting someone at the church for help. Well, there it is, isn't it? That's what the spiritual gifts are about. It's about the Holy Spirit through each one of us, helping one another, remembering that we are Jesus' hands and his feet and his smile. And as we reflect on last week, we saw that happening in each of the passages that we looked at. And so as we continue this week with the spiritual gifts, what are the gifts? Um, just let's remind ourselves of some of the things that the spiritual gifts, um, that we know about them from those various passages, Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, and also Ephesians chapter 4. And we were reminded that the gifts are given to build others up. The gifts are given by the Holy Spirit as he determines. Every member, every one of us, has spiritual gifts given to us. And we were reminded that the gifts are given in Christ and they point to Christ, who is the head. We all have different gifts. We know that, don't we? We're all different when we come together. And we know that the gifts work together just as a body does so that it functions well and efficiently. And all gifts are important. None of us can say that we're more important than someone else. No, indeed, all the gifts are important. And we just sang that lovely song, didn't we, as we went into communion, in Christ alone. And we spoke last week about spiritual gifts being defined in terms of Christ. They're given by Christ, in Christ, and it's through Christ that the Holy Spirit enables each one of us to live and to work for him. And we talked about a definition. I wonder if you can remember. We talked about that definition as being in Christ as actualized powers of expressing and celebrating and displaying and communicating Jesus in one way or another. Yes, indeed, as we exercise our spiritual gifts, it's Jesus ministering through us, through his body, um, to God the Father, to each other, and indeed to everyone that we come in contact with. And we thought about what really are the spiritual gifts or what is it that makes a gift spiritual? And we said that, well, the main thing that the gifts were to do were to edify, were to build each other up. And ed the edification was the gift was the evidence of the gifts at work. 
So I wonder if you remember and perhaps you've thought about it and found it challenging just as I have again this week that it's not so much our abilities but it's rather the way in which God uses our abilities which are the gifts of the Spirit. And as we think about that, I know for me that that resonates and rings true. We just sang a song, didn't we? It said, let the weak say I am strong, let the poor say I am rich, let the blind say I can see, it's what the Lord has done in me. And so it's not about our performance, it's not how well we do something, it's about God taking what we've offered and done in his name and the way in which he blesses it that builds each other up and indeed reminds us that that is the gift. And we talked about a question. I wonder if you remember what that question was that we could ask ourselves as we think about our spiritual gifts. The question was, what can I say or do for other members of the body of Christ that God may use to build us up together in unity and know Jesus better. Indeed, that's what the Holy Spirit wants us to do, is to grow together in unity and to know Jesus better, so that indeed the world might know that he is real, that he is alive, and that he is at work in his world today. So we're going to continue on. Um, this morning, looking at what some of the gifts are. And last week we looked at Ephesians chapter 4 and it was interesting to note that what Paul taught in chapter 4 was in response to a prayer that he prayed in chapter 3. He prayed that we might have power together with all the saints to know the love of God and to grow up into the full measure of Jesus. And so to enable that prayer to become a reality, it says that he gave people to the church. He gave apostles. He gave prophets. He gave evangelists. He gave pastors and teachers to equip God's people for works of service so the body may be built up to the full measure of Christ. Here we see that God gave gifted people, that it's the role of the person in the body of Christ that's actually described. And so as we think about that a little bit more this morning, we can think about the gifts not just as a gift. We think about them in terms of a person and the role of a person, of the people, a person sitting next to you if you're sitting on a couch at home with someone in your family. Or you might think about others that you saw during the week and you made a phone call to. We need to think about those people and the roles that they play along with ourselves as part of the body of Christ. So we think about a teacher or an an encourager or a prophet or, or a leader or a generous person or a healer, a worker of miracles, or a discerning person, 
and the way in which God uses our abilities that uses us rather than the abilities themselves that are the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So we want to look at two other passages this morning. Romans chapter 12 and 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And verses were read from both of those um, chapters this morning, which was, again, really helpful. And if you've got your Bible, can I encourage you to keep your Bible open at those two passages as we look at what the gifts are in these passages together. In Romans chapter 12, the verses we read from chapter 2, verses 1 through to 8, these verses started off, didn't they, with, Therefore, in view of God's mercy, and this was the same as last week, we're reminded, aren't we, that a therefore connects us back to the previous chapter. Therefore, in view of God's mercy, and if you look back in chapter 11 of of Romans, you'll see that God's mercy that he gave to us was about us being included as Gentiles in the people of God. And then it also talked about his mercy being able to include Israel in the people of God. And then it also talks about his mercy being available for everyone to be included in the people of God. And so as we start with this, in view of God's mercy, the fact that we've been included as the people of God through him saving us through what Jesus has done, he says to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to him, which is our acceptable act of worship. How vital it is as we think about the gifts in the body of Christ that first we think about our own bodies and us needing to offer them completely to God. Everything that we are and we have, we're asked to offer up to Jesus. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17, it says, If anyone's in Christ, they're a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. So as we think about that, as the Holy Spirit has placed us in the body of Christ, because we've been regenerated, we've been made new, we've been given new life, every part of who we are is what he, Jesus, has redeemed and the Holy Spirit is renewing us in his image every day. So that means that as we offer ourselves, we offer our abilities, everything that we have, and the Holy Spirit takes, moulds, uses, adds, subtracts to ourselves so that we might become perfect in and through Jesus Christ. We're not perfect yet, but one day it says when we see Jesus, we'll see him as he is, and we will be perfect when he returns, when he comes to take us back to be with himself. And so once we've offered ourselves, and it's only then when we've offered ourselves completely to him that we're able not to think of ourselves more importantly than we should, and that we're able to play our role within the body of Christ, the way in which the Holy Spirit has shaped us and made us so that we might be able to reflect Jesus 
to those round about us. And I'm encouraged to think about this because Paul describes the way in which the body works together, the spiritual body, the same as a human body. And so we have hands and feet and ears and eyes. So as we think about the role of ourselves, of the person within the body of Christ, we need to see that that is a role that has been, we've been moulded and shaped for to fill. And we don't just do it today and not do it tomorrow, or because we take on a different role tomorrow and do something different. We might have different functions in the body, but a hand doesn't become an ear and then next week become a foot or next week become an elbow. So I think what that helps us understand that the gifts are associated with the person and they're the role that we play within the body. And we need to be able to allow God to use us so that we can be um, have the body function effectively together. And so think with me about the roles and I want you to be thinking about the people in the fellowship. I want us to be putting skin, as it were, putting names towards these roles so that we can see the way in which God is using these people within the fellowship to help build the body up together. And in the verses that were read in Romans chapter 12, there were seven particular roles listed. And if we look briefly at them, the first one was prophesying. And I talked about this last week in that we were given prophets. Prophets were people who spoke direct revelation from God. They used the words, thus saith the Lord, or hear the word of the God, hear the word of the Lord. And now we have a completed Bible. God's revelation is revealed to us through the Holy Spirit as he takes his word and helps us understand it and applies it to our lives so that we don't have prophets now as we did in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Some people would say that the gift of prophecy is like the gift of teaching or speaking. That is, it's speaking forth the word of God. Well, if that's the case, I'm happy for that to be listed as a gift of speaking or teaching. And suffice to say that people who can clearly teach us God's word and help us to understand what it's saying and how it applies to us today are essential parts of the body, just as every part is essential. Ephesians chapter 2, we were told that the church was built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And so I think that we can assume quite clearly that prophets, as in the Old Testament and New Testament sense, are no longer required. And then he flips to another thing that we might say every one of us has, and that's serving. Serving in many different capacities. We can think about lots of people, can't we, who play the role of serving, of putting others first, of helping others. Jesus himself said, I didn't come to be served, but to serve, and to give my life a ransom for many. And he said that we all needed to learn to be servants of all. However, some people just always seem to be available. They're just always there to help. 
not talking themselves up. They're always getting their hands dirty. They're always there just beside someone to help them. They don't have to be told or asked. They do it cheerfully and consistently. And they're reliable and they're dependable. I wonder if you can put some names to some of the people that play the roles of serving in the Fellowship of Monty. And more importantly, as you think about that person, how has that person helped you grow together with others, to connect with others, and get to know Jesus better? Because that's the role at work. That's the evidence, is it changes us as people play their role. Teaching. Teachers is another role that he lists in these seven here. The ability to help us understand what God's word says and how it applies to our situation in such a way that we can respond to that word and that we can change to become more like Jesus. And we thank God for people who do this for us in the church. And I'm wondering if you can think of someone that you would describe as a teacher and how do you know they're a teacher? It's because when you listen, God's able to take what they say and through the power of his spirit, you go, aha, that's me. I need to do something on that. I need to change. That's the evidence of the gift of work. An encouraging, an encourager, what we might say, that ability to affirm, to support, to build up. We often refer to an encourager as a Barnabas. That was his name. He was the son of encouragement. And each time we find Barnabas in the book of Acts, we find him encouraging others, giving money, <coughs> giving money from the sale of his property or supporting Paul um, to the believers in Jerusalem that didn't believe that he was really now a follower of Jesus or giving Mark a second chance even though Paul didn't want to take him back on another missionary journey because Mark had deserted them. You might be remembering someone special today. I was reflecting on my parents and I thought about them as being encouragers. This was something that God really used them to actually do for others. My mum always wrote letters, consistently, all the time. She had a table set up where she'd, be, she'd always be writing letters to people to encourage them, to let them know that they were cared for. She would always make sure that they received a card on that special day. And my dad, he would support her in this, but he would do it himself. He would use the phone every evening. He would be on the phone, talking to someone, finding out how they were, letting, letting them know that he was praying for them and thinking of them. Can you think of some people like that in the fellowship that play that role of just always encouraging, always um, supporting, always seeking to allow God to use them to build others up in their understanding of who Jesus is. And I was thinking about, is there another gift here? Could we say that there's a gift of hospitality? 
If you read on in chapter 12 of Romans, it tells us to practice hospitality, so we all need to practice hospitality. However, there's some people that just seem to be always hospitable, that God always uses to look after people, to care for people, to provide meals for people, to provide a bed when it's needed. Growing up, I can remember there always being people in our home. Whether they were missionaries coming through and they were providing some teaching for us, whether it was folk just coming up to have a breakaway, to recuperate, to revive, to restore, whether it was someone in the community that needed a meal that would be sitting at our meal table. And as I reflect on mum and dad, I thank God for them, for what God was able to use them to change my life and help me understand the importance of encouraging people. I'm not saying that I've necessarily got that role in the body of Christ. I have to work at it, make lists, be reminded to connect with someone and ring someone. But it's something that I'm sure you can identify, that there are folk in the fellowship that are doing that. And it's so important because God uses them to help us grow together in unity, keep connected and to know Jesus better and contributing to the needs of others. Would we see that as a role? We've all got to contribute to the needs of others. But it's listed here as Paul saying that the Holy Spirit uses people to be able to give and we're encouraged to do it generously. It would appear that it's primarily in practical ways, giving of time and of resources. And maybe you can think of someone that it's really God has used to bless you as they've paid a bill on your behalf, as they've reached out and provided meals when you mightn't have been able to afford them, or when you just were needed time, you needed someone to sit with you, And God used these people to just always be there for you so that you could see Jesus at work in their lives and in yours. Talks about leading as an important role. And those that have this role, they're to do it diligently. We're thankful, aren't we, for elders and deacons, for ministry leaders. And I think of this Also, it's another role, but the gift of administration, people that have the ability to organise and coordinate and make sure that things run smoothly. We might say, oh, well, that's just what people do in the fellowship. He's a good organiser. She's great in the kitchen. She just makes sure that everyone does their bit. But here Paul's saying that that's an important role. It's not just something that people do. It's part of who they are, the way that the Holy Spirit has renewed and reshaped them in who they are as a follower of Jesus. And showing mercy. We need people that can show mercy. Some of us are really quick to judge. Some are really quick to condemn. But there's others amongst us, aren't there, that God uses graciously to make sure that we that they forgive, they forgive easily, they're quick to forgive. 
and they give people a second chance and they see the the benefit and the positive side of what that person's doing or what they're experiencing. We need people that show mercy. Can you name someone that you would say plays a role of showing mercy within the fellowship? And how has that person helped you or how has God used that person to help you perhaps become more merciful and more forgiving yourself? And so Paul here is talking about the role that we play within the body of Christ. And as we come to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, he continues to think about the body. And what's the context of Paul responding and saying, well, now about spiritual gifts? As we read through the book of 1 Corinthians, we see people, we see Paul responding to questions that they've asked him, that they've written down on paper and sent to him, or about reports that have been given. And so we see him writing and answering questions about disunity amongst them, about lawsuits, about sexual immorality, or marriage, or food offered to idols, or worship, and indeed about using spiritual gifts appropriately. He reminds them that the gifts are given for the common good. And he outlines really importantly that there is a unity that happens because of the Holy Spirit. Those verses that were read to us in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 where the list was given, sort of about verse 7 through to 12. I wonder if you can count how many times it says, yes, there's different roles, different gifts, but there's the one spirit. I think I counted about five times. Paul's making a really important point. So often we want to describe ourselves and say, well, what's my gift? What am I to do? And we want to describe ourselves. This passage asks us to describe ourselves as a part of a whole, united and moulded together into one body by one Holy Spirit that we all have that one spirit dwelling within us. So therefore, we're all connected. And the, and the way in which God uses each one of us is in line with the fact that we work in harmony together because we all have the same Holy Spirit within us. And so, he says, here's some more gifts. And I think I've counted about nine, nine roles that he lists here. The first he lists is wisdom, about being a wise person. We all need wisdom, don't we? And the psalmist in Psalm 111 said, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And Solomon said the same thing again in Proverbs chapter 8. And he also, we're told, when the Lord came to him in a dream, as he became king, he prayed, he asked for wisdom so that he might be able to rule with wisdom, the people of Israel. And James tells us if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. So what's this saying? We all need wisdom, don't we? But there's some that the Holy Spirit has empowered particularly that we would describe as a wise person. Think about Stephen in Acts. He was a man full of wisdom. 
and the Holy Spirit. Can you think with me of someone in your life, in your church, there at Monty, that you would say is a really wise person? I can think of someone, and particularly in a church when I was younger, they were wise. They were the person that I would turn to with various questions about the scriptures and about what God might have wanted me to do. And through the power of God's spirit work within him, he would give me wise answers that would help guide me. I wonder who's that person in the fellowship for you? We need people with godly wisdom, don't we? People who respect and revere God and who are obedient to God's word that that help us to make wise decisions. It talks about knowledge. I wonder what that means. Well, partly we could say it's knowledge directly of God. But I think we could best describe that as a knowledgeable person of God and his ways. Someone who knows their Bible well. And not just because they've memorised it, but because they put it into practice. Because the knowledge that God's word provides, they have imbibed. A little bit like John Bunyan. It was said of John Bunyan that if you poked him, he'd bibble. What did that mean? Well, it meant that the Bible was so impregnated within him that if you poked him, that's what would come out. And I think when we think about someone with the role or the gift of knowledge, it's just that. They know when to speak and when not to speak. When they speak in a church meeting, people sit up and listen because it makes sense and God's Spirit testifies to it that that is the right thing to do. How important is this gift for people that play any sort of leadership role? those that are elders or pastors or deacons. What about the gift of faith? I wonder what that means. Because we all have the gift of faith, don't we? Ephesians 2 verse 8 says, For by grace are we saved through faith. And it's not of ourselves, it's a gift of God. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. So we all have faith for salvation. However, there's some people, isn't there, that just seem to implicitly trust God, have an overwhelming confidence that God is in control and that they're able to, as it were, help us see that God is in control and that this is what he might have in store for us in the future. Hebrews talks about a whole list of people of faith and the way that God used them because of their implicit trust in him to bring about his purposes in the world. I wonder if you can think of someone that you would say has the gift of faith that just inspires confidence and trust that God takes them and their work in in the fellowship so that you are encouraged to trust God yourself. Indeed, that's a really important thing for us to have. And then we have healers, the gift of healing. This one can be quite controversial. 
some claim to have this gift and it's been prominent supposedly in some churches over the last recent decades. They say that they have the gift of healing and yet when people come to them, they aren't healed. This gift was prominent in the New Testament church. Why? It was to confirm that Jesus' name had power. Peter said to the cripple, what did he say? Silver and gold? I don't have any. But what I have I give to you in the name of Jesus. Rise up and walk. And so indeed, it was really important in the New Testament church to confirm that God's salvation and God's power was at work in and through the new church. God can and God does still heal. But the days of, like in Acts 5, bringing all the sick people and lining them up along the street and all those that had evil spirits and as the apostles walked past, it says all of them, not some of them, all of them were instantly, completely healed. Or as Paul, people used to bring, it says there in Acts, they brought a piece of clothing and touched Paul with it, a handkerchief, took it back to the person that was sick and that person was healed. We don't see those things happening today, don't we, do we? Where there's complete and instant healing regularly occurring to demonstrate that God's power and God's salvation is at work. James does tell us though, doesn't he, to call the elders if we're sick. And he does ask us to ask them to pray for us that God will heal them. And we do that. And God does heal. But we don't see this gift of healing as in a healer, where everyone that is crook, is sick, with severe physical disabilities, instantly and completely made well. That's not evidence in the, that's not evident in the church today. And miraculous powers seems to be another gift of the Spirit that appears unique to the New Testament church. Miracles in the early church confirmed that salvation in Jesus was here. You go and look in Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 4. It tells us very clearly that God testified to this salvation by signs, wonders and various miracles. Miracles do occur today. Just ask Scott Morrison. Perhaps the greatest miracle today, though, is the miracle of human conversion. It's only the Spirit of God that can illuminate God's Word and reveal to us who Jesus is. As to Peter in Matthew chapter 16, when Peter was able to identify and see that Jesus was the Christ, Jesus said that it had been revealed to him through the Holy Spirit. So we do see the power of God at work today. But there's not regular physical miracles, signs and wonders needed to confirm that salvation is available to all now, as was in the early church. And indeed, it was Jesus that said to Thomas, Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. That was referring to the miracle of the resurrection of Jesus. And so 
we know that we can, through the power of the Spirit, revealing Christ to us in our minds so that we can acknowledge him as Lord in our lives. Prophecy is another one listed here. We've already spoken about prophecy. Discernment, perhaps, is the next one. It talks about distinguishing between spirits, those able to discern scriptures and their application to believers in the church. Perhaps it's being able to identify whether someone's are genuine in following Jesus or whether they have an, an agenda, like Peter with Ananias and Sapphira, that he could see that they were trying to deceive the Holy Spirit. And this is this is an ability that God uses in people in the church as to whether it's something appropriate for the church to be involved in or not. I wonder if you can think of someone who you would say is a discerning person who can determine what's of God and what's not. They don't get the wool pulled over their eyes and we're so thankful that God provides these people um, in our fellowships. Speaking in tongues. It's been a long debated topic, hasn't it? Is speaking in tongues a gift for today? Let me make a couple of comments about these passages, particularly in 1 Corinthians 12, 13 and 14, where Paul discusses the speaking of tongues in these chapters. It's clearly about the role that they play in public context of the church. And if they were spoken, they were for the, be the purpose of building up the body of Christ, not to bring about disunity. And it's clear that not everyone in the church at Corinth had this gift of speaking in tongues. At the end of uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul gives a number of rhetorical questions. Do all heal? Do all speak in tongues? And clearly the answer is no, they don't. So something we can quite clearly say is, is that speaking in tongues is certainly not a requirement to be a believer, to be a follower of Jesus, or evidence that the Holy Spirit is dwelling within us because we've all been baptised by one spirit into one body. We all have the Holy Spirit. The other thing that's interesting to note is that tongues were not to be spoken in public without interpretation. And that seems to me to indicate that these tongues were unknown languages, that they were able to be understood, they were able to convey meaning, and it was expected that there would be someone there that was able to hear and understand what was being said and then being able to convey that to those who couldn't understand what was being said. And it's interesting to note that Paul makes it quite clear that he'd much rather speak in the language of the listener so that they could hear immediately and be built up through what God's revelation was um, so that the body could be built in unity and that they would get to know Jesus better rather than speak in an unknown language. In Corinth, it seems that this gift was misused and misunderstood and it was divisive and not helpful. It wasn't promote, it was promoting the individual rather than building up the other people in the body of Christ. And Paul describes it 
as a sign for unbelievers, demonstrating that God's power is real and that God is bringing people into right relationship with him. God's available is now available for all. In Acts, there's probably three references that I could find that talk about people speaking in tongues. One at Pentecost, when everyone, as it were, heard the wonders of God, God's salvation being described in their own language and what they could understand. When Peter went to Cornelius' house, it says that when the Spirit came, when they were converted, it says that they spoke in tongues. And it was a sign that indeed the gospel had gone to the Gentiles. And in Ephesians 19, there were a group of people that had only had John's baptism. And when Paul talked with them, Paul said, well, John baptised, but he was pointing to Jesus. And so Paul told them about Jesus, and it says they spoke in tongues to confirm that the gospel had clearly gone to those who that were following or had been following after John's baptism. So it seems that clearly it was a sign to help people know that salvation was available for all. And today, we already have God's revelation completely, so there's not some new revelation that needs to be stated in an unknown tongue for someone else to be able to interpret so that we can know that salvation is for all. No, indeed. It seems that that the reason for it has now been passed. So I don't believe that the gift of tongues is something to be used in the church today. And what's interesting is that we want people to understand God's word in their own language. And that's why people like Wycliffe Bible translators are so committed to translating the scriptures so that everyone has the opportunity to read and understand God's word in their own language. So suffice to say then, interpretation of tongues is not required today if tongues isn't. But the interpretation of tongues at that time was to have someone that did understand what was being said about God so that that could be conveyed to others. If we keep reading in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, again he reiterates the roles of apostles and prophets and teachers and miracle workers and healings and we've discussed um, all of those briefly. Here are some of the gifts of the Holy Spirit as we think about this topic of what are the gifts. And as I said last week, I don't believe that this is an exhaustive list of spiritual gifts, not an exhaustive list of roles that are required in the body of Christ. Paul uses them as examples of how the bodies to function collectively together under the guidance of the Holy Spirit so that we might be built up to be one together and to know Jesus better. You know, and some of these gifts that Paul lists are evident in the church today and others are no longer required due to the church being established and the Bible, God's revelation in the scriptures being completed and salvation has been well and truly demonstrated as available to all. I think the thing that we need to continue to think about is us giving ourselves completely to Jesus 
as a living sacrifice so that the Holy Spirit can renew and reshape us to play a significant role in the body of Christ so that others will be built up. How do we know our gifts? How do we know what our role is? Well, that's going to be talked, I can see, by others um, later on in the series. But I think that it's not something that we want to agonise over. But one of the ways that perhaps we can understand our role is through the affirmation of others. Remember that we talked about it's God's use of our abilities rather than the ability itself. That's the gift of the Spirit. So as God uses us in the lives of others to build them up, to help them know Jesus better, they'll be able to affirm that God is using us in that particular way. And so if we want to affirm one another, what does that look like? It's about saying something personal and specific to each other that encourages and affirms who they are in Christ and the way that the Holy Spirit has been using them in our lives. I wonder if you're watching this with others. This might be something that you could say to one another um, at the end of the service. Think about what you might be able to say to them. It could look like this. You're a compassionate person and that helps me understand and be reminded that Jesus is compassionate and I need to be more compassionate too. Or you might be able to say, your understanding of the word of God, God uses to help me to know him better in those difficult situations when I need a decision to be made, you're able to help point me in the scriptures to an appropriate passage that could be applied here. Or you might be able to say to, to someone, you're really generous and you both with your time and with your money and I've just seen God use you in that way many times to help reconnect us and to build each other up together so that we know Jesus better. You might be able to say, you're able to organise and administrate things really well without fuss so that things run smoothly and that the services function well. And so God uses you in that way to make sure things are done decently and in order. All of these things we can do for each other to affirm our role in the body of Christ that God is using us to build each other up into unity and in our understanding of Jesus. And we sang a wonderful song at the start, didn't we? We sang the power of his love. And we talked about and sang about rising up on wings like eagles as we wait on the Lord. And we need to wait on the Lord. We need to experience God's love so that when we exercise our role within the body, we need to do it in love. And Paul makes it really clear that if we don't do our role and undertake our part in love, then it doesn't achieve anything. 1 Corinthians 13 says that if I do it but without love, it's empty and hollow and meaningless.
So indeed, you might think about that and just remind each other that it's about knowing God's love and sharing God's love in the way that we display the gift of the Spirit together. So it's wonderful to see the folk at Monty uh, exercising their gifts and the leaders encouraging everyone to understand their role and their part within the body of Christ together as we offer ourselves completely to God in response to his gift of salvation. So what a privilege and what a joy it is to be part of God's family together. So this week, let's continue to ask each other the question, what can I do or say for other members of the body of Christ that God may use to build us up together in unity and know Jesus better? God bless you. We're going to just read a couple of verses as we close. And it's in Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 20. And this is what it says. May the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, may he equip you with everything good for doing his will and may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory for ever and ever. Amen. May that be our experience this week. Amen.